What's up guys, Dalton here. Before we hop into this episode of the PT Coffee Cast, I just wanted to touch base with you and say thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Whether this is your first time listening or you've been rocking with us since day one, we appreciate your support. Every like, comment, share, subscribe, whatever it is, truly does mean the world to us and it continues to push us to put out the best possible content for you guys. Before we hop in, I just want to talk to you about our partnership with Physio Network. Physio Network is on a mission to improve physiotherapy standards worldwide. They do this through their research reviews. If you sign up, you'll get 12 research reviews per month in both written and audio form. Articles are selected and appraised by industry experts such as Sandy Hilton, Mary O'Keefe, Tom Goom. Um, former PT Coffee Cast guests such as Teddy Wilsey, Sam Spinelli, Jared Hall, Tom Walters, and plenty more. They're clinically relevant and recently published, and they take less than five minutes to read one review, saving you hours of work. This also solves that problem that we all struggle with. How do we stay up to date with the research? Physio Network has you covered. They also give you access to a members-only Facebook group, and you can do quizzes that will get you CEU points. They got it all. If you guys are interested in trying out Physio Network, you can start your seven-day free trial now by using the link in the show notes or our bio on Instagram. This will give you the option to play around, see what you like. Do you like listening? Do you like reading? And just seeing the amazing content that they give you guys, and then you will join because Physio Network is amazing. We love to hear from you guys. If you have signed up for Physio Network, please let us know how your experience has gone. We'd love to hear, and we can pass on that information to them. Also, if you guys haven't noticed, we've moved the PT Coffee Cast to its own Instagram page. So head over there so you don't miss out on any content. You can follow that at the PT Coffee Cast. We've also started a PT Coffee Cast newsletter so that you guys can get up-to-date information on the latest episode. If we have any new merch dropping, maybe some coffee, whatever it is, we want you guys to know about it first so you can follow the Instagram page as well as sign up for the newsletter so you don't miss out on anything. That's all I got for now, guys. I hope you enjoy this episode of the PT Coffee Cast. Welcome to the Movement PT Coffee Cast, where we sit down and talk about physical therapy, health, and whatever else comes to mind during our coffee-infused conversations. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the PT Coffee Cast, brought to you by The Movement. My name is Dalton, and with me, as always, is my beautifully bearded friend, William. William, how are we doing today? Doing pretty good, man. I'm about the same as yesterday. Lots of coffees. Yeah, I know. We recorded an episode yesterday that's probably dropping. Would have dropped prior to this one, and we were probably four coffees deep. Yeah. I think we're three on this one, so not as caffeinated, but um, we're, we're doing well guess that's what happens when you start owning business. I think we could just use that as an excuse now. Yeah. You know, like, oh yeah, yeah. You know, five years from now, we'll just be like, yeah, we just started a business. Yeah, so that's just, the reason we're just why drinking we drink lots so much of coffee. coffee. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right, guys, we got a really fun one for you today. Um, we're going to be talking about all things running. So on the podcast today, we have Lindsay Scott. She's a physiotherapist out of Toronto, as well as like a run coach. She runs herself. She's a triathlete. She's a Lululemon ambassador. So much more. Um, I'll have her kind of talk on top of all those great things. But Lindsay, welcome to the show. 
Thanks so much, guys. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. So I covered a couple. So like physio, run coach, you're, you do a lot of running yourself, triathlete, Lululemon ambassador. What else, what else you got going on? Um, man, it feels like there's always so many balls in the air. And I think like so many of us, that's kind of where I thrive um, and just kind of keeping them all afloat. I'm a relatively new mom. So my son is just a year old. Um, so that's kind of taking up a lot of my time and energy right now. Um, yeah, but I would say uh, physiotherapist and specific to my role as a physio is I love to arm runners of all levels with, um, I guess we'll say the tools and knowledge that they need to be strong and healthy and resilient and fearless as they work towards big goals. And then in the last couple of years, I have started to transition as well to working in more of a teaching and mentorship roles. So working with clinicians who want to excel as they help both runners and endurance athletes to achieve big things. So I help arm clinicians with sort of the tools and the strategies that they need to sort of serve that running and endurance sport population in a way that lights them up. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great. And, I, and we'll dive into all that stuff because mm -hmm. obviously that's why we have you on. But um, <laughs> I want you to touch a little bit about how you got into like the running and the endurance world. Like how did that come about? So for me, myself in my own running journey is that I was a rugby player. Um, it turns out I was, you know, like good enough to make the team and like did that all through university, but kind of had to fight hard for my spot and just kind of was there as like the keener camper, just like go team go. And so <laughs> always felt like I was a good enough athlete, but had never truly found my sport. And then after I graduated from university, um, I, in a panic of what next, moved to Nepal for um, several, like not quite, uh, several months. And it was the first time in my life that I didn't have a gym or a program or a coach or that kind of thing. And so running it was, um, and it was just the coolest way to uh, kind of explore my new surroundings and get to know the community and that kind of thing. So um, after that, when I came back to Toronto, I went to the University of Toronto for um, my my physio master's degree and I was living about eight kilometers away from school and anyone who has lived in Toronto can relate to the fact that the public transit is not dependable so, so it just was easier and faster for me to run to and from school so that's sort of how I really got into it so yeah it's cool how running can do that eh like yeah. how you can just kind of use it as an excuse to sort of check out the area yeah totally it, it is just like things that you tune into on the run that you would never otherwise really notice, right? Like going down the little side street or starting to notice the same people at the same time out and about every day going through their own routine. It's pretty magical that way. So, yeah. It's true. It's funny. I find, uh, I don't know if you can relate to this, but I find I see different things when I'm running versus when I'm cycling versus when I'm driving, you know, it's like totally I get it all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there you go. Everyone needs to start running and get a bike <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> yeah. So out, like outside of that, is there anything about like running itself? Like let's say the actual training of it or the process or any, anything like that, that really draws you to it? Um, I mean, I think at the end of the day, I just know at my core that I am a better physio partner, friend, sister, daughter, mother, when I am able to run and push myself and work towards goals in that way. And I think there's a lot of people who can relate to that, just curiosity about the human body and what we're capable of and, and the sort of accountability of continuing to show up and 
um, the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. Like, I just think it's, there's so many like beautiful metaphors for life as, as cheesy as it sometimes sounds that, um, come from running. So that has been a huge thing for me. And then just being able to share that passion with both my clients as well as my running community and then working to sort of um, educate and, and elevate other clinicians to, to share their own passions too. It's fun to get to share that with others. So, Yeah. And, and let's start to dive into a little, a little bit of that. I know early on in like your career, um, it wasn't all running related. Mm-hmm. And what was like, what made that switch for you? And how was that process of committing to niching down to just running and solely focusing on that, which, which to me sounds like gives you more purpose? Totally. It absolutely does. And I mean, it's funny now because you look back and you're like, oh, well, I did this, 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 and this. And it's, you know, I think we can all relate to the fact that it's not always that uphill trajectory. But um, basically, I think I was someone who was always very energized by the idea of working with runners. I remember early in my career, reading a lot and listening a lot about like, find your passion and what is it that really lights you up? And I knew what, what it was that I wanted to do. It was just kind of finding, well, now what do I do with that now that I know that? Um, I was really spinning my wheels to sort of find the right resources or the right course. Um, I think a lot of people early in their careers can relate to the, I was going on weekend courses, almost expecting to take the course where on Monday morning I could arrive at the clinic and be like, well, here I am world. Like now I know everything I, you know, I'm a good physio now. Um, So spinning my wheels in that way. And trying to figure out, first of all, how do I get runners in front of me, as well as who am I to, to declare myself an expert at this? And so I was kind of bopping around for, I guess, probably about two or three years, going to different, you know, running room talks and doing all the things. And I think there were sort of three maybe things we'll say that were a bit of a shift for me. So the first was recognizing I'm never going to take a course and be like, well, I've arrived. I know everything I have to know. So starting to appreciate it more as a process and that if I waited until I became 100% confident in it, then this, it was going to totally pass me by and I was going to basically burn out before I even got close to where I wanted to be. Um, I think the second thing that was a bit of a game changer for me or was a big game changer was um, stopping and considering what is it that this population needs like what are the questions that they're asking what do I have that I can offer them that's a bit different rather than going to the talk and you know here's a photo of a tibialis posterior sometimes it gets irritated in runners like no one cared right so what are the questions that people had and and what did they need that I could fill that gap for them and then another big shift for me was just teaming up with the right people and I think that being around like-minded people who are in like excited about the same things and also want to grow and learn bounce ideas off of one or one another. I think that's kind of one of the most powerful things that we can do for both ourselves and our communities. So that I think I started, I was lucky to sort of connect with a few clinicians that ultimately led to a role at my current clinic, which is called the runners Academy. So obviously we work almost entirely with runners. Um, and I was lucky in that they already had some of it, an established community, but even before that, just those other little shifts in my perspective had made a really big difference and probably led me to that, to be in a place where I could uh, get that role. So I think that's something that's super common with people is like having that sort of like mystical realm that you need to get to before you like kind of have it all, you know, right. And yeah, then you're totally. ready. But, you know, I think the sooner you realize you never, that's never going to happen. 
right? Totally. The, the sooner you can start to make steps towards like doing what you actually want to do. Yes, exactly. And I think like a lot of it is these limiting beliefs that we create for ourselves of um, things like, well, I'm not, I'm not a fast enough runner myself, or like, I don't know everything there is to know. I've basically just made the assumption that that even matters to the potential client, right? Like it's pretty rare that my patients ask me like, well, how fast are you? Right. And like, it doesn't make me a good physiotherapist or not a good physiotherapist. Right. So I think part of it is just calling yourself out on like, what are the belief, these limiting beliefs that I'm, and these narratives that I'm creating for myself and how am I going to reframe that to sort of get out of my own way here? Yeah. I want to double click on that because I think that's huge. Like, how did you go about doing that? Like, what are some things that you use to help yourself get over that? Right. Well, so I think, um, first of all is I am, as you mentioned, uh, when we started, I'm an ambassador with Lululemon. Um, so through that, I was really lucky to have access for some, to some goal coaching and that kind of thing. And just be opened up to that, that world of possibility of having a coach and, having someone root for me and call me out on things. And so um, through that, I now work with some like coaches and mentors myself. Um, So first of all, I think it's just like gut check and honesty with yourself and finding the right, the right people to support you and and partner and work with you. Um, And then I think it's just putting yourself out there, do the scary thing and recognize that like, turns out, they didn't care that I wasn't as fast as I thought I needed to be. They didn't care that I haven't taken every single course under the sun. Like I, I, I mean, at this point I am an F camp, but at the time I think that was a big thing for me of like, well, when I'm an F camp, they'll believe in me, but my patients didn't know what F camp even was. Right. right. Um, so kind of uh, just putting myself out there was a big part of it. So. And then the second part of you had kind of three things. The second thing was, yeah that you're sort of realizing what runners were asking about mm-hmm. what were those things. Like what were some of the stuff that you were realizing they actually wanted to know versus like the tip post. Right. Yeah. Like they don't <laughs> want the, they don't want the like standard lecture from physio school on running related injury. Right. So one of the big things, and we talk about this so much at the clinic is looking at running as a skill and so many people assume that they really know how to run well, right? Or maybe not even run well, but imagine you were like, you'd never played tennis, right? And you're like, I'm going to set this crazy tennis goal. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the local schoolyard and I'm just going to hit a tennis ball against the wall for hours and hours and hours. And then like, turns out I'm not going to get that good at it. And I'm probably going to get injured at it. Like, of course you wouldn't do that. You would go out, you would get a coach, you would break down the skill set, right? But for some reason with running, we all just assume that we can just go and like, well, my pal ran a marathon, like my coworker did it and he doesn't look as fit as me or, you know, she has eight, you know, 8 million things going on and somehow she fitted in. So I totally can do that too, which isn't to say you can't, but at the end of the day, you're going to be so much more successful if you approach it from a place of this is a skill that I have to learn both to prevent injury and to improve my overall performance and enjoyment of the sport. So that I think was a big shift for me is like, stop, um, you know, putting band-aid solutions once they already have the problem and help them find like what, how they can prevent it from becoming a problem in the first place and, and get really excited about the sport in the meantime. So. Yeah, I think that's huge. Like, I, I love that you brought that up because 
a little bit of like, I've been a new runner as well. And like, I, I ran, I did, I was one of those people who ran that marathon just like three years ago or half right. marathon, sorry. And like grinded my way through it, finished it, couldn't run for like a week and a half. Cause I was so <laughs> trash. Right? Yeah. And now yeah. I've transitioned to start running again because of, of COVID. And I, I got a coach this time because I'm a little wiser now. I got okay. a coach. Who taught, he, he, he guided me through it. And the cool part is like, I just ran a half marathon like last weekend. And like, I ran, I ran it faster and I recovered. Like I ran again on Monday. Like yeah. that, that was like the difference. And, totally. and I think what you just hit on of like seeing it as a skill um, getting someone that can guide you and learning about how you can manage running so that you can continue to do it. And it's not just one thing that you do once and then you're so sore exactly. or you get injured, which I think a lot of people are like, Oh, I want to try running. And they start running, not guided. Cause it's very simple to just start running. And then they get irritated because they're running way too much, way too fast. <laughs> and then they're like, running sucks. It's not for me. You know? Exactly. Or, or the, the, like, I have bad knees. Like, right. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> right. So anyone who says that I'm like, you just made it my personal mission to prove to you that you can run. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's, let's dive into a little bit of like the running stuff. So I'm obviously you working with runners on a daily basis. I'm sure you hear a lot of concerns or thoughts around running or particular injuries. So maybe we could touch on some common ones that come up um, for you, and then we can dive into how you approach them. Yeah, totally. Um, I guess, so, you know, like injury wise, it's a lot of it is at the end of the day, load management, right? And I think a big misunderstanding that a lot of people have is that if we put as much energy and vigor into our recovery and our mobility and our strength as we did into our actual run training, like we'd pretty much all be bulletproof, not actually, but it would just make a huge difference to um, our injury rates and our enjoyment of the sport. So I think um, a big thing that we spend a lot of time doing is just educating on, on that and load management and runners seem to always want to have well, I think with any injury, people always kind of want to be like, well, what exactly caused this? You know, like, is it because I slept funny last night? And it's like, if, it, if that's all it took for this to happen, then like there was a whole bunch of predisposing things. Right. So I think a big part of it is, is, um, educating around that. Um, and most injuries I would say are in some way related to, I mean, it's more complicated than this, but if you really want to make it simple, like you're some tissue, you have exceeded that tissue's capacity for load, right? Mm -hmm. And our job is to help you figure out how, like, why is that? And, and both from a training perspective, as well as from how you're moving both on the run and outside of the run. Um, so we see a lot of uh, IT bands, like the classic running injuries, shin splints, uh, runner's knee, like patellofemoral pain syndrome, that kind of thing, plantar fascia, all those. Yeah. And I think something that I, I've learned too, is like, I, I'm glad you started with the load management thing because I think er, early on before I started learning a little bit more about running, I would always look to maybe what particular structure or position or <laughs> movement was causing this person discomfort or pain, as opposed to maybe starting with looking at like the overall program and the overall factors that influence that person. Right. Starting there is the best way to go. Cause a lot of times, like you're saying, it's probably just a load management within their program and it may not necessarily be such a specific thing. It could be a factor that influences it, but it might not be like the only thing. Like for example, like 
and we can dive into this topic of like heel striking, right? Like I know yes. that's a common one where people are like, well, am I a bad person for heel striking all the time? <laughs> and I'm like, well, if you're a bad person for heel striking all the time, I am too, because I heel strike all the time. 90, so like, 95% of people is the estimate. Right. So we're all bad people. So like, <laughs> when it comes to like those types of things, because I think runners come in with those questions often totally. because that's what they read on social media or they're just, that's just what they've been ingrained in. So mm-hmm. how do you go about navigating that conversation um, with people? Yeah. So I would say the three most common things that we get are heel striking, cadence and running shoes. So as well as I would say, probably stretching and what do I do? And am I a bad person because I don't stretch? So, uh, number one heel strike is I initially tell people like, I don't actually care. I really don't because at the end of the day, the bigger factor here is actually your peak breaking force. So your peak breaking force, any force horizontal in the opposite direction than you're running. And so how that shows up clinically is basically typically an overstriding pattern. So if I take a video of someone running and I pause it at the exact moment that they are making contact with the ground, typically we'll do this in clinic on a treadmill. And I look at this position that their tibia is in. So I will say, I'm going to draw a line from your ankle through your knee, and I'm going to just keep continue that vector up. And ideally I want that vertical. And that is representative of your peak breaking force. And so Typically, as soon as I coach someone, and the reason that we want that vertical, number one, if you imagine yourself landing with your foot way in front of you every single step, you're essentially just throwing the brakes on every single step you take. So from a performance perspective, like you're just working against yourself every step versus if I can get you so that you are pushing down onto the ground, like pushing the ground away from you with every step you take, aka landing with your foot closer to being underneath you. Now all the energy you're using is creating a force that pushes you in the direction that you want to go. So you've got that from a performance perspective, but you can also imagine if I'm landing with my foot more underneath me versus several inches in front of me, I'm so much better equipped to tolerate the loads of running, right? Um, And so from an injury perspective, that's also huge. And so we often say to people that injury prevention and performance improvement is exactly the same thing for for most runners, right? And so it's kind of this two-for-one deal that's really fun in clinic when you get people in and they're injured. And at the end of it, not only have you helped them recover from their injury, but they're really excited about their potential for their upcoming races or season or training. So big picture, I'm not terribly stressed at first if someone is heel striking. In fact, ultimately, once we have the basic pattern down that we would like to move towards with your running, I often find myself cueing people to be closer to their heel because we know as some, as soon as they bring their foot into like a neutral or slightly dorsiflex position, they're going to be much better equipped to use their posterior chain. And that's where I'm going to get a lot of my power. Right. So, yeah. So would there be a time where you would cue someone to not heel strike? And let's say maybe within the context of injury. So in theory, if we look at the research, moving more to a forefoot strike in theory will reduce load through the knee and the hip. But you're going to reduce the load through the knee and the hip by a much greater percentage if you have them not overstriding. <laughs> so mm-hmm. technically, assuming that I have 
the time in the person's season. So if you're racing next week and we just need a quick fix, I'm not going to obviously break down your entire gait pattern, right? But assuming I have the time, um, I would rather just cue you, like, let's fix the problem where the problem is. Let's not bandaid this, right? So like my concern as soon as you, all you do is change your foot position is you've just lost a whole bunch of power because you're no longer using your more powerful posterior chain. And you've just made your whole like lower leg and foot. So you like calf, ankle, foot, all that is a lot more vulnerable. Right. And so we, we coach a lot of runners often of like, would you rather at the end of the day be using powering yourself and accepting the load of running, which remember every step you take when you run is anywhere from two and a half to six times your body weight of force, depending on how fast and your running technique and that kind of thing. So would you rather put that through your calf or your glutes? Right. And it's not quite that simple. Um, but it makes a difference. So is it also just like, you know, it's like switching to foot strike pattern is like a tough thing to do. Totally. And they, we also have research that even after like six of gradual six month, um, uh, transition that there's still significantly higher injury risk. But I would also challenge someone of like, why like mm-hmm. prove to me. And we hear this a lot too in the, the, um, like barefoot or minimalist shoe movement of like, well, it's more natural, but prove to me, that's fine. It may be more natural, but prove to me that that is going to either improve your performance or decrease your injury risk. And then, and then I'm, I'm happy to discuss that with you. But, um, I, it's, I, I've had that conversation with a lot of different runners and, and I've yet to be convinced. So. <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting. I, I wasn't aware of, uh, was the peak breaking force. Is that what you said? Mm. I wasn't aware. I wasn't necessarily aware of that. And it's cool to hear you talk about it because it's essentially doing the same thing by like changing where the load's being distributed as if you were to change like your striking pattern. But by the totally. sounds of it, it's not as, maybe not as like complex for the runner to grasp so that, you know, changing their stride by forefoot striking or midfoot striking may be a lot more difficult for them to adopt. Whereas the other pattern exactly. may be a little bit easier. Is that kind of, um, I mean, I won't lie at first. We always warn patients, like it will probably slow you down before it spe- speeds you up. Like it's, it is changing a motor pattern that you've been accustomed to for your ent- most of your life. Right. Um, but I like to think of it as at the end of the day, it is fixing the root cause of the problem. Right. It is. It, and if you think about one of the other things that we talk about a lot with runners is um, a lot of people are accustomed to doing like their drills. So an A skip and and your B's and that kind of thing, which whether you're a runner or a soccer player, most people who have been involved in some sort of organized sport at some point in their life have seen those. And we see even some elite runners where we're like, what's the point of your A skip or what is the point of their drill, your drills? And they don't know. But if you think about it, the A skip is, is encouraging that same pattern that, we encourage or reinforcing that same pattern of rather than swinging through with your leg as though it's a pendulum, it's more of a step up and over as though it's more of a marching or a piston pattern. And that way now all the force you're creating is pushing you where you want to go. So is that kind of how you explain to somebody how to like, like cueing them towards that? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. So like guide some of that. Okay, so it really helps when you have videos in front of people. It's, it's a much easier concept to explain. Um, but yeah, how do we cue people? We keep our cues. If you look at especially some of the literature on coaching, uh, keeping your cues super simple, uh, super limited, and always external. So we will start with people of, okay, you are going to march on the spot, right? 
Um, and that gets you more into the up and over pattern rather than the kind of like shuffling pattern with your feet. And I will also cue them, imagine with every step you take, you are crushing a can underneath your foot. And that brings them out of that forefoot position and brings their foot into more of a neutral position. Or another cue we might use there is place, imagine you're balancing an egg or a hacky sack on your foot and you don't want it to fall off, right? And if you're slamming the brakes on in front of you, then you, um, like obviously that egg would fall off or obviously if you had a hurdle in front of you or you were marching, you, like, you wouldn't do that pattern, right? Um, so a lot of it is, yeah, just keeping it really simple with those external cues to start, letting them practice with it, showing them the feedback from the videos of we'll do a before and an after. And it's usually within like 10 minutes, like five to 10 minutes, it won't feel natural right away, but we can take a before and after video and see a pretty significant change. So, yeah. yeah. And then we just cue them of how do you, how do you build this into your run? Because I certainly don't expect people that to then like, well, this is how you run from now on. <laughs> so encouraging people of how do you gradually build this kind of pattern? So, so will you do like some running with that pattern and then some just however they. Absolutely. Yeah. So you have them do a drill before their run and then think of it kind of like a minute as a t at a time as you're running. So like run the first, mm -hmm. say break it into, if you're running for 5k, the first minute of every kilometer, for example, is really focus on the, on these gate cues. And, and we also explain to people that at the end of the day, when you're really focused, it's probably exaggerated and that's fine. It's a drill like any other drill, but really where the sweet spot is, is in the like minute when you're not as focused on it and you're kind of at the happy medium of not focused at all and super hyper-focused. Right. So. Yeah. It's interesting. I never thought of that, you know, just the idea that like you can't just, change something up with like uh your technique and then just do it all because it's going to be totally different it's going to feel exactly exactly you and like it's, build that tolerance up exactly and i think a lot of us um well and that's another thing because you're moving differently you're putting different load through different structures yeah. right so that's another thing you have to be really conscious of of like okay well now like where am i potentially vulnerable and this is also why i say you know if, if an athlete is approaching their marathon a month from now then now is not necessarily the time, right? In which case, sometimes then we will have some cues of, you know, like try and shorten your stride length or that kind of thing. It's very rare that I would ever say to someone like, I want your cadence to be X. Um, but in the event that someone's like, I just need to decrease my knee pain and I, and like, I have to get through the next two weeks, then I might try that. And if it decreases their symptoms, great. Um, but I usually tell them if that helps, it's going to be so much better once we can really over like look at the big picture of your gait pattern here rather than putting the band-aid solution on so yeah like, the more like the more we dive into these conversations it's like it just makes me realize how much nuance is around all of these things and like how important our language is to not totally. just like saying don't forefoot or don't heel foot strike or you should forefoot strike like there's mm -hmm. so many other factors that go into it totally consider because if you just tell someone to change like you may be setting them up for a potential other injury right and like exactly i feel like a lot of the information that's out there is like oh it's as simple as just changing your striking pattern you know when in reality yeah. it's really not that simple so it's it's awesome that this this conversation's happening and i hope mm -hmm. more people think about those things whether it's a clinician or whether it's like just a, an athlete totally i mean we see all the time people who are I read in runner's world that I should do X, Y, Z. And yeah. it's like, well, thank you. Runner's world. You're 
you're great. You're great for creating an opportunity for me to share my, my passion. So thank you. <laughs> exactly. Now, does that tie into like what you're just talking about? Does that tie into cadence then? Yeah, totally. So cadence, first of all, everyone is obsessed with the number 180 for cadence. Okay. Um, where, if you look at the origins of where that came from, it's because one of the sort of top coaches who's very well known was sitting at the Olympics in the eighties, counting the cadence of a bunch of the people who were coming in pretty fast. Well, the, the leaders, um, and was like, Oh, 180, that's it. Great. But there's also been a lot of studies since then. So for example, at the ultra world marathon championships, or world ultra marathon championships a few years ago, the, in the top eight finishers. So not a huge sample size, but still, um, the, there was a variation of one person whose average was around 200 steps per minute and one person who never cracked 160. So basically not to say that 180 is not a good ballpark, but you don't, you can be at the world championships and never cracking 160. And that's fine. When we see that in clinic, it's really low, but with cadence, um, typically you, uh, as we work through the other gate cues that I was mentioning before, cadence will naturally increase. So for someone who has a really low cadence, again, if I say, if they're more of the like shuffle pattern runner, if all I say is increase your cadence, yes, it will change the load. So if they have pain, it might be a quick, simple fix, but at the end of the day, they're still shuffling. So they're still putting themselves into a position where they're not performing as well as they could. And they're also probably not tapping into their strength, which ultimately will make them potentially injury prone, right? Um, so typically, I don't actually really count someone's cadence. We just use it more, like it just will naturally increase. So we, people will tell me like, oh, my Garmin told me my cadence increased. And I'm like, great, cool. But um, I'm more fussed about the other, the other sort of outcome measures, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. So. And I love hearing you say, like, you know, in improving their injury and performance. And I think that yeah. as a, as a physio and as physios, I think it's something that we can play a big role in that we don't necessarily take advantage mm -hmm. of at times. Like, totally. sure. We can have, like when someone comes in to see you, you're injured. It's like, sure. We can help you rehab from your injury, but like, we also can help you perform better and totally. can continue to stay training or doing things at a high level a high enough level so your performance doesn't necessarily dip so far down while you're rehabbing from an injury and i don't mm -hmm. think that we express that enough to the general public at times um totally. that's something that we're capable of doing and i think if you're going to build a niche um practice whether it's runners or rock climbers or whatever it is i think that's a huge part i've had a lot of the people who i've been working with recently um, like a lot of the clinicians say to me that like, what happens in the off season, what happens? And it's like the off season is one of our busiest times because that's when you can be working on like educating your, your athletes about like, how are we going to make you bulletproof and like ready to roll in the coming months and the coming season and that kind of thing. And so I think it's, there's a ton of opportunity for us to tap into that. I totally agree. And especially, I think if you have identified like this population is what I'm really pumped about. So, right. yeah. What I think is so cool about what you do too, is like the emphasis on the education and like yeah. helping someone with just their sort of like training efficacy, you know, uh, totally. as they go forward, even when they're not with you, they're going to have a better understanding of just how to manage their training in general. Yeah. Yeah. And it is really fun when you do hear clients, like when you do hear runners come back and they're 
they're like, I had a moment where I was like, oh, this actually works and that kind of thing. Right. So, um, and you're kind of like, yeah, I know I, I knew that was coming. And sometimes it takes some patience, but it's, it is really exciting when they're like, yeah, I was out running and like, I could hear your voice coaching me through it. And that it's, it's really cool just to see that however a, a runner defines a big accomplishment for themselves, that you've played some part in, in helping them just be open to possibility and willingness to see what's possible if they can, if they can just make a few little changes and really dig into that. So, yeah. Yeah. And then this is just like, I want to dive into the running chew thing because like this yeah. is like selfishly <laughs> from my own knowledge. Yes, so, like, please. <laughs> Um, let's talk about that because I think that's another common thing that people, that people question a lot. Like, should I have multiple shoes? Should I mm -hmm. run with this style of shoe or this brand of shoe? So like maybe talk a little bit about that and how you approach it. Totally. So, um, from an injury perspective, I mean, performance is a whole other story right now with a lot of debate. Um, but from an injury perspective, you can imagine the like billions upon billions of dollars that have been invested in this. And we actually have fairly unsatisfying, or I guess, depending on how you look at it, satisfying knowledge as a result. So number one, I'm always conscious when I'm educating clinicians about this to be just aware of just because one paradigm is wrong, doesn't mean the next one is right. Um, so for example, for a long time, it was like, oh, if your person pronates too much and quote unquote pronates too much, um, then they should be in a stability shoe. And then we were kind of like, actually, that's not the case, but people should be in a minimalist or a maximalist shoe. And just recognizing that, you know, what we're saying right now is to the best of our knowledge, but just be open to the fact that it probably is potentially just, the, or may just be the next paradigm and don't go all in on too much. So I give that caveat or all in on one idea. I give that caveat, but here's my current response to that. <laughs> um, Comfort wins. Um, we have a lot of studies that say that, you know, like I can look at your foot and your movement patterns and all that a million different ways. But at the end of the day, you picking the most comfortable shoe is probably going to be the best um, way of preventing injury. We know never to make a dramatic change. So if you've been wearing one type of shoe, don't be too dramatic and going to another type of shoe. We know that a neutral shoe is probably the best bet for most people, including there was one study of like, I think it was almost a thousand runners. Um, and they put people in categories based on both their dynamic and static foot type and movement and all that kind of thing. And even the people who were pro, the people who fell in the pronation group in a neutral shoe versus the people who fell in the neutral group in a neutral shoe, the pronators actually had fewer injuries. So, um, Basically, a neutral shoe is probably best. And yes, you need to have multiple pairs. Um, that it is, in an ideal world, we would like a little bit of variability in your shoe. So for example, if you had one that was a given heel-toe drop or given amount of, uh, depending on whether you like a bit of stability or neutral or whatever it is, um, and then one that is, and that would be used for more like your speed work, your tempo and that kind of thing. And then one that you might use for a longer run. So ideally we would have some variability, but if you're like, no man, this is my shoe. And I like, I love this model and it's the only thing that feels good at the very least you need to have two pairs on the go. Um, and I mean, runners love hearing this because you're basically being like, go to the shoe store and buy more shoes. Yeah. And, and like, they love that. So yeah. It's funny though. It's almost like, Hey, there's all this other important stuff that you need to talk about, not just your shoes, you know? 
Well, and that's just it. When I say, you know, runners are all like runners and anyone are all just always looking to pinpoint what caused my injury specifically. And I mean, wouldn't it be great if it was as simple as like, here's a new pair of, well, I think it's kind of fun to try and put all the puzzle pieces together. But (laughs) I mean, if it were as simple as like, let me tell you about these magic shoes, then like I'd have people around the block lining up to for my magic shoes. Right. So yeah. I want those magic shoes. Me too. Yeah, I know. Right. (laughs) And they're going to make us super fast too. So there you go. How we're going to make our millions guys. <laughs> on that, on that note, then like a, a thing that can be challenging is navigating those conversations with people, especially that have like very ingrained beliefs in those mm-hmm. topics. So I'm curious how maybe you approach some of those conversations. Is there a particular tactic? I don't want to say tactic, but is there a particular way that you approach it? So I would say number one, recognizing they have come to you for your expertise, right? And so I think at first, early on, earlier in my career, I was a little bit more hesitant to kind of push a little bit, um, but recognizing they've come to you for your expertise and, and so share your best you can because like that's how you're, like that's part of how you are serving them and achieving their, or working towards their goals. And I do think um, in particular, I see this with, with uh people who are in a zero drop or very minimalist shoe, um, sometimes they like, you're going to get a little bit more pushback. So you start to recognize the people right away who are going to be a little bit more hesitant. Um, and I think it's, don't take any of it personally, share your knowledge and experience, be open to like, I appreciate what, where you're coming from. I, I like recognizing also that we don't have all the answers, right? So saying, you know, cool, love that. Um, here's another alternative perspective. And it's quite possible like that, that the real answer is a happy medium in between. Right. Um, that, and also recognizing, you know, we, we, we know that people's beliefs and the psychosocial component of both performance and injury again can play a big role. So sometimes if you have to let them have it, and if it allows you to, you know, like have a win when it comes to another piece of the puzzle that you can educate them on, great. I'm not going to fight them on it. Yeah. So. I think that's a big, that's a good point. Cause I think oftentimes we can get caught up in that. It may be a little bit ego driven too. Like I know I've been there where you're like trying to like get that point across and you know, you're like, you want to convert them when in reality mm-hmm. it's like, it's probably not worth it. And as long as they're like understanding the overall, like arch overall arching plan of what's going on, it's probably better than totally. fighting for that one belief. Exactly. There, there are very few of those single beliefs that are going to, I think, totally change my ability to support them in their goals right so the overarching goal like if i have to let them win that one and like let's let's see if we can come to a sweet happy medium on the other topics beautiful yeah someone can have a bad belief and still function totally well in society yeah exactly exactly and i think if you fight them too hard on it then you've potentially lost your window like at the end of the day this isn't a uh like uh, sort of almost a partnership and us working together to try and reach your goals. Right. So, um, yeah, I'm here to support you as the runner. And, and if this is the best way I can, then awesome. Sounds like teaching is a big part of what you do. eh? Oh, I love it that way. (laughs) Yeah, it totally is. So, yeah. And, and obviously, you know, you're talking, we've been talking a lot about teaching and educating clients, um, Mm -hmm. but also part of what you do is teaching and educating other clinicians um from i'm assuming many different areas probably not just physio so maybe talk a little bit to that and and you know how that's kind of like one of your new endeavors and how that's gone 
yeah, so I have sort of two streams that I'm working on right now with that. So the first is through the Runners Academy. Um, we started a, an, a sort of education system called the Runners Academy EDU. And the real inspiration there, I think, was a number of things. One, recognizing the need to sort of teach others in the movement world um, how to view running as a skill and how, to, how that becomes so important, both into uh, performance and injury again. And we have been very lucky to sort of work in partnership and very closely with a lot of coaches over the years, a lot of um, different healthcare professions and that. And just recognizing the value in us all working like as a team um, and having consistent messaging from different people. Um, I think especially in the running world, there's a lot of coaches who uh, like, uh, there's a ton of coaches out there right now. And so trying to get people aligned on, on how can we better support this community? So that, what that looks like is um, prior to COVID, we were doing in-person um, courses, um, heavy emphasis on, it was, it's a, or it is a three-day program where two days of the three days are any sort of movement coach, healthcare professional is invited. We talk through um, how to assess movement, how to assess running gait, how to coach people to run better, effective cueing strategies, that kind of thing. And then on day three, it's um, more those who will be uh, like more clinicians who will have sort of a, the injury management perspective. Um, so the in-person courses for that are sort of on hold, thanks COVID. Um, we're working on creating an online offering and trying to find the best way to do that um, in order to not have it be terribly didactic, but to try and encourage um, a little bit more um, sort of involvement from our participants. And in the meantime, I, after, in the follow-up to um, some of our early in-person courses with the Runners Academy EDU, I had a number of clinicians reach out to me who were like, that was amazing, but what we're really looking for is um, more of a collaborative growth and learning opportunity. Um, moving away again from that sort of didactic, like you go to a course for a weekend and you get brain overload and you go back to the clinic on Monday and, and it, you're lucky if you get like two or three kind of clinical pearls from it. So I've started what's called the Run Crew Mentorship and Mastermind. Um, and it is um, a 12 week program that's a combination of group calls, one-on-one -on -one calls, and then communication in between of sharing of resources and some cases and that kind of thing to kind of work with clinicians on what are your sticking points? What is it that you want to learn? Okay, here's, here's this, um, you know, here's a couple of cues that you can try. Now go put it into practice and let's loop back on it and how it works. And that's been a really exciting um, project for me and just sort of figuring out, it, first of all, every group is different. Every clinician has different needs and trying to figure out how we can support one another and learn from one another and, and help those clinicians reach their goals. So that's where I've been at more recently. Yeah, that's exciting. I, I like the idea of the, the mastermind group and being able to communicate and talk about some of the things that you're seeing in in clinic and then bringing them back to the group. I think that's so key to like understanding and learning um, some of these things. Cause in my experience, I've done some courses where, you know, you learn a bunch of stuff, then you come back to the clinic and you're like, Oh, that's kind of what I think they're talking about. And you see it and you're like, but I, I would love to ask this question or bring this to the table. Totally. And like, I think that that's awesome that you're taking that route. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I think it goes back to, you know, I was saying one of my like big game changers was when I just recognized that I, teaming up with people who were really excited about the same things and kind of wanted to like bounce ideas or like, Hey, I listened to this cool podcast or I like, have you seen this study that was just published or that kind of thing? 
um, it's just one of the most powerful ways I think that we can hold ourselves accountable as well as just really elevate ourselves and, and those around us. And I, I mean, I think that, um, like working with other clinicians is so much easier these days than it was even like two, three, four, five years ago. Um, and so let's tap into that resource as best we can. For sure. So, yeah. um, just to wrap up, Lindsay, why don't you leave where people can learn more about you, Runners Academy, and then, and then even more importantly, like what you're doing with this mastermind group. And I know you have another cohort, I think coming up soon. Ooh. So yeah. Yeah. So I, the easiest way to find me would be on Instagram, which is at Lindsay Scott physio, um, L I N D S A Y Scott physio. Um, if you're interested in learning more about the mastermind, um, we do have both clinicians and coaches, um, that are depending on who applies in that we sort of mold the cohorts that we have people in groups of like people working towards similar goals. Um, and anywhere from totally like, I've never worked with a runner, but I'm really excited about it to I've done this for years and I'm just really looking to up my game. So the easiest way to find more info about that would be on Instagram. And there's a link in there with a form that you can go to. Um, and I will be in uh, the coming weeks sending out, we have a wait list right now of people to apply um, that I'll be sending out an invite um, to those who are on the wait list to, to send in their application. So that's the easiest way is, is via Instagram. And if you want to check out what we're up to at the clinic, it's at the runners Academy on Instagram as well. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll make sure that all that gets linked um, in the show notes and like, especially the link to like to the, the mastermind group um, for you. So people can find that easily. Um, but Lindsay, thank you for taking the time to come on. Honestly, this was a great conversation and, um, one, like both of us are getting more into running. So it's been one knowledgeable for us to hear you talk about some of these things Two, It's like obvious that this is something that you're extremely passionate about just listening to you talk about it. So also makes me really happy because people that are super passionate about what they do to be involved, um, especially in the physio world. So thank you for your time. Thank you for your, your passion. Um, and we look forward to making it down to, to Toronto at some point to, to meet yeah. you in the flesh. Anytime. Yeah, yeah. We'd, we'd love to have you. And thank you guys so much for chatting and for um, all you do to elevate this community. I'm so grateful to you guys. So thank awesome. you. Thank you, Lindsay.